Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to Episode 5 of Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World where we look at mysteries both supernatural and natural, anything that's strange, odd, and makes you wonder. The claims and counterclaims from the perspectives of both faith and reason. In this episode, we're talking about the Lost Gospels. I'm Dom Bettinelli, and joining me today is, of course, Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. So, uh, Jimmy, what what is what are the, lo- the Lost Gospels? Of course, we know... The, the four Gospels, so most of us should know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But but what, how can there be lost Gospels or more Gospels? Well, um, basically, uh, in the early church, there, there was a lot of literary activity. Uh, Christians have been writing since the very beginning, since the very first generation of Christians. And that didn't stop with the co- composition of the books of the New Testament. People kept writing um various documents uh we know many of them as the writings of the church fathers and they don't make any pretense of modeling themselves most of them after the books of the new testament but some of them do uh there are some works that in various ways try to fill out what we find in the canonical gospels or even replace the canonical gospels and uh most of these were lost during the course of history. Some of them are still lost, but some have been rediscovered, particularly in the 20th century or the 19th and the 20th centuries. And so we hear various people today saying that, well, the four canonical gospels are just a few of the gospels that were circulating in the early church. And some go farther and say, well, really, the four gospels don't have any special claim uh, you know, people on on telling us the truth about Jesus, and we ought to take these other gospels seriously. And various, uh, you know, people uh, people naturally have a uh, an interest in the exotic and the strange and the hidden. It's it's part of natural human curiosity. It's it's part of the reason for this podcast. But some people are attracted to these. Uh, non-canonical gospels and uh, want to put more emphasis on them than the uh, canonical ones. And so that's what we're talking about today. So just to be clear, uh, because some some folks might wonder, are, are these part of the Dead Sea Scrolls that we often hear about, or is it something else, uh, some other... Uh, it's other other things. Uh, the Dead the Dead Sea Scrolls, even though a lot of people have the idea that there were lost gospels found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, that's really not the case. The Dead Sea Scrolls were written, most scholars think, by a Jewish sect called the Essenes, and they really don't have uh, we really don't have Christian writings among the Dead Sea Scrolls. There are some commonalities of ideas between the Essene community and the Christian community because they both grew out of Judaism from the same period, so they're going to have some common ideas. But um, but we just don't have Christian writings at the Dead Sea. Um, they by were, the way, they, 
we'll make that. Maybe we should do an episode on the Dead Sea Scrolls. That would be we'll oh, it's, our, list. it's already on the list. <laughs> oh, <yeah>. awesome. <laughs> um, but the Dead Sea Scroll writings were, we can tell by radiocarbon dating, they, they were written uh, like up to 200 years before the time of Christ, and they were all deposited in caves by the Jewish war that climaxed in 70 AD. So um, they, even though they overlap a little bit with the New Testament period, it's a different group of people. So what we have here are um, books, you know, scrolls or books that we've had through from the beginning that have been around in various libraries or or some have have been around that we knew about and some are newly discovered. Yeah, um, a particular discovery was made in 1945 in Egypt at a place called Nag Hammadi. And that was an incident, where, uh, that was a discovery where we found a bunch of Gnostic writings, including some Gnostic gospels. Um, others have been around down through history. For example, um, the Infancy Gospel of James, also known as the Proto-Evangelium of James. We've had that all the way down through history, and it's actually played a notable role in Christian art. Uh, because if you ever see St. Joseph depicted as being an old man compared yes. to Mary, that is based on claims that are made in the Infancy Gospel of James. Okay, so um, I don't want to jump too far ahead but uh, mm -hmm. you know, this, a, a couple of questions are asked. Do these have so? What is the counter? So let's do. Let's just go with it uh, mm -hmm. step by step. What's the counterclaim against the claim that these are lost gospels that should be have an equal claim on our attention and belong in the Bible? The the counterclaim, and this is not controversial among scholars. Scholars of all perspectives, whether they're Christian or Jewish or atheist. Um, all pretty much agree that the four canonical Gospels are the only ones that we have that contain substantially reliable material about Jesus's life. And these other documents, um, however interesting and informative they may be about what some later Christians thought, they don't contain substantial traditions that accurately describe the life and teachings of Jesus. So is it true that we could we could have two different kinds of documents here? So we could have stuff that's purely fiction, that's just made up wholesale to advance someone's ideas that, that aren't part of the, the Christian uh, doctrine. Mm -hmm. But but others could be could have some truth in them, but aren't inspired. Is, 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 do I have that right? Yeah. Um, the scholars don't immediately dismiss something just because it's not in the canonical Gospels. If it has a serious claim to being an accurate tradition that, you know, uh, as judged by various criteria, then scholars will take it seriously. There's a collection of sayings uh, attributed to Jesus that are known as the agrapha. Um, that, that comes from Greek roots that means not written. Uh, so the, these are the sayings of Jesus that are not written in the canonical Gospels. And one of them, uh, people will actually know. They may not realize it's an agrapha, but they've, they've probably heard it uh, all their lives. And it is taken very seriously by scholars, even though it's not in the canonical Gospels. It's Jesus is saying that it is better to give than to receive. That's that's actually not in the canonical Gospels. That's attributed to Jesus by St. Paul as recorded in the book of Acts. Hmm. 
So it is in the New Testament, but it's it is an it is an agraphon because it's not written in the canonical gospels. And there are other agrapha that scholars take seriously as well uh, that we have quoted in the writings of the church fathers and so forth. Unfortunately, um, most of the uh, sayings that are attributed, uh, basically all of the sayings that are, tri- are attributed to Jesus in these uh, later so-called gospels are so late and many of them reflect a clearly different agenda that they're not taken seriously by scholars. They, they don't have credible claims of going back to Jesus himself. One thing you mentioned um, in terms of people writing stuff as fiction, we kind of need to make a distinction there between things that were consciously written as fiction and, and other things that were meant to be taken seriously. Because you have two groups of people writing stuff uh, knowing that it's not found in the Gospels and they're not just preserving traditions. Um, Christians of the first century and second century were as interested in fiction as we are. You know, if you go to a Christian bookstore, you're going to find like f- historical novels about St. Paul or Abraham or whoever it may be, where they're imagining what the life of this person would have been like beyond just what's found in the Bible. They're, so they're works of historical fiction. And we have that for um, ab- about New Testament characters in writings of the early church. For example, um, there's a, a, a book called The Acts of Paul and Thecla, which is basically a novel about St. Paul. It's an example of early Christian fiction. Um, but it wasn't meant to be taken as this all literally happened. Uh, Another one about Jesus is uh, called the Infancy Gospel of Thomas. Uh, This is stories about Jesus's childhood because people were naturally curious. The Gospels don't tell us a lot about Jesus's childhood. And so at some point, people made up stories about Jesus's childhood just as an exercise in Christian fiction. But we don't have evidence that these were really meant to be taken seriously as things Jesus did. There are fanciful stories like at one point Jesus is uh, playing on the Sabbath and he's making little clay birds out of mud and uh, and a, a boy tattles on him to Joseph, who who kind of scolds him for breaking the Sabbath. And Jesus says, oh, and he claps his hands and the little birds fly off. They animate and fly off. <laughs> <laughs> it's little, little Harry Potter Jesus. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what are the, the names of do we have like a list of of these Gospels that that we know of? You know, or, or yeah. is it just a bunch of a bunch of different things? Well, we have uh, records uh, from the early church that mention a bunch of them. Uh, like one of the ones that we know existed, but we don't actually have a copy of, is uh, Marcion's gospel. Marcion was a heretic in the second century, and he really didn't like Jewish stuff. And so he produced essentially an expurgated edition of the New Testament where he tried to cut out all the Jewish stuff. And so he 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 only included St. Paul's epistles and he de-Judaized those. And then he had one gospel um, that uh, that he based on the gospel of Luke. But then he cut out all the Jewish stuff that he could. And so um, we know that Marcion's gospel existed because people talk about it in the writings of 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 
uh, the church fathers, but we don't have a copy of it at this point. Others we do. Um, I mentioned the Infancy Gospel of Thomas and the Infancy Gospel of James. We have both of those. Um, there are others like the Gospel of Philip, which is kind of a sort of an anthology of sayings of Jesus. And we have uh, a few dozen uh, works of this nature. It's interesting, though, modern scholars will call them Gospels kind of for lack of a better term, because many of these don't really... Uh, they don't really fit the same genre as the canonical Gospels, which are biographies. It's really clear that um, in the ancient world, a biography was called a life or a bios in Greek. And it's really clear that the four canonical authors are writing bioi or biographies of Jesus. But these other works, most of them don't fit that model. They'll either be um, collections of sayings uh, there's one gospel that's nothing but sayings. It's called the Gospel of Thomas, and it's just a list of 114 different things that Jesus allegedly said, and there's no narrative at all. There's no story. It's just sayings. Others, even though they may have some story to them, um, they're, they're not telling us the whole story of Jesus's life. They're just zeroing in on, like, what happened when he was a boy. Or what was Joseph's life like before um, uh, early on? Or what was Mary's life like early on? Or what did Jesus say to the disciples in that brief little window between the resurrection and the ascension? And you'll have like alleged speeches that he gave during that tiny little window. But uh, for most of these writings, there's not an attempt to tell the full story of Jesus. So let's get into the examination of these claims and um, starting with, say, the pers from the perspective of reason, um, what would reason tell us about the claims of these lost Gospels? Well, the first thing, and this is not controversial among scholars, uh, the first thing is that these are all later than the four canonical Gospels. The four canonical Gospels were written in the first century, um, common dates among scholars these days for the four Gospels would put them between the year A.D. 60 and about A.D. 90. Um, I personally go with a group of scholars that date them a little earlier. I put the Gospels in the A.D. 50s and A.D. 60s. Um, but uh, everybody agrees these are first century documents. The um, the the so-called lost Gospels or non-canonical Gospels are all from the second to the fourth century or even later than that. Um, but many were written between the second and the fourth century. There's really only one, uh, the Gospel of Thomas, that any scholars have really argued belongs in the first century. But even for the Gospel of Thomas, most scholars have concluded it's really a second century work because it looks like it's based on the four canonical Gospels. And uh, is the Gospel of Thomas sometimes called the Gnostic Gospel? I think I've heard that. Of Thomas? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it, although it, it, the degree to which it's Gnostic is disputed. For people who may not be aware, the Gnostics were a group of heretics that flourished from like the second to the fourth century. And they you sometimes hear them described as believing salvation comes through knowledge because the Greek word for knowledge, one of the Greek words for knowledge is gnosis. 
and they're Gnostics. So obviously they think knowledge is important, but they didn't. Everybody thinks knowledge. You need knowledge for salvation. I mean, we call the knowledge you need the gospel. Um, So it's not just that they thought that knowledge is important. They had a particular set of things they claimed to know which included the idea that the world is was made by a kind of inferior deity they called the demiurge or the craftsman, um, and that consequently the world we live in is intrinsically broken and evil. It's not the good world that Genesis says God made. It's intrinsically broken and evil, and there's this huge heavenly hierarchy of different celestial beings um, and Jesus is among the lowest of those. And and you can return to the celestial kingdom if you're lucky, if you're a Gnostic and have a spark of the divine in your soul that will enable you to return. Um, so the Gnostic Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Thomas is actually, it's it's early enough, it's not as clearly Gnostic as some of the later Gnostic works are. And then some of these are um, modern uh, forgeries, right? They're, they're, yes. We've seen them in the news recently, uh, like yeah. the Gospel of Jesus' Wife. Right. There's two in particular that are modern forgeries that have become well-known. Um, one of them, as you mentioned, is called the Gospel of Jesus' Wife. This is actually a teeny little scrap of paper um, that happens to mention Jesus using the phrase, my wife, on it. That's why it's called the Gospel of Jesus' Wife. And it's it's been debunked. We we know uh, we actually know who the forger was. And so um, that one's been exposed. And we'll have a link in the show notes if you want to read a fascinating story about how that was shown to be a forgery. Another that is um, that actually made something of a splash in the scholarly community for a few decades is called the secret gospel of Mark. And allegedly, this is the story, um, a a New Testament scholar named Morton Smith found in a monastery a book from like the 1700s that had a Greek transcription of a letter from the second century uh, author Clement of Alexandria. And in this letter, Clement describes an edition of the Gospel of Mark that's different than the one in public circulation um, that has some additional material. Uh, In particular, it has a story about Jesus sitting up all night naked with a guy catechizing him. And and it's got some kind of homoerotic overtones to it. It's not explicit about that, but it's pretty... Most scholars have said, yeah, this looks homoerotic. Um, and the thing is, nobody has ever seen this, th- this book that Morton Smith claimed to discover. And the 17th um, century. <clears throat> right, exactly. Yeah. There, there are some alleged, you know, photos of this, but, but the book has vanished, so it can't be tested. And nobody has ever heard of, of, of this secret gospel anywhere else in ancient literature. And Morton Smith is a homosexual. And this really fits the plot of a book that came out in the 1940s called The Mystery of Marsaba about the very monastery where Morton Smith claimed to find this. 
And then there are other uh, indications that it's a forgery as well, um, including an indication that Smith like worked a reference to himself into it as kind of a wink to the scholarly community when for once they analyzed this. <laughs> and uh, we'll have a, uh, a link in the show notes to a fascinating book exposing uh, the secret gospel of Mark as a forgery. Okay. All right. So moving on to other um, parts of the uh, reason perspective uh, on the on these claims. Uh, what else uh, can can we uh, you know say about these from the perspective of reason? Well, one of the things <clears throat> that I think is very significant, and this was pointed out by Richard Balcom, is a fact we already mentioned. Richard Balcom is a British scholar. Um, and he pointed out, as we did earlier in this show, that these Gospels don't even attempt to tell the story of Jesus for the most part. They're just zeroing in on individual things, he alleged, individual moments in his life or individual things he, he allegedly said. And they presuppose, therefore, a knowledge of the canonical Gospels. They assume you already know the basic story of Jesus from the canonical Gospels and that the canonical ones are accurate. Um, so they reveal their later date just by the fact they don't even bother telling us the story of Jesus. Um, also, they reflect ideas that clearly are later than um, than what was found in the first century Christian community. Uh, the Gnostic ideas that became popular in the second and third centuries were not around uh, in the first century, certainly not in the developed form that we find them in the canonical Gospels. And that is part of why these were rejected. They weren't rejected because of some agenda uh, that the church fathers had. They were rejected because they were spotted as fakes. Um, the four canonical gospels all had a tradition of having been read in the churches in the beginning, you know, all the way down. We've been reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you then come up with this gospel of Philip, the first question is, why has nobody heard of this before? Right. Because we haven't been reading this in the church. This looks by its sudden appearance like a forgery. And then when you read the Gospel of Philip and, oh, it's got all these Gnostic ideas in it that have not been passed down in the church by the succession of bishops that were ordained by the apostles, then it just screams forgery at you. And so um, so the early church quickly identified these things as problematic documents, and that's why they weren't included. And that's also why modern scholars would say that they um, that they don't contain reliable traditions about Jesus. They tell us more about what later groups of Christians thought and believed, like the Gnostics, but they they don't really tell us about Jesus. And that's why, so the scholars will study them to, in order to learn more about the early, you know the the the, the context of, of those of yeah. that historical period. Uh, right. But but they don't view them as reliable uh, witnesses to to Jesus, but more like um, an insight into the mindset of the people who wrote them later. Yeah, they tell us about what was going on in the church in the second and third and fourth centuries and later. They don't tell us what was going on in the church in the first century in Jesus's lifetime. Okay. So so that seems like the the, the reason perspective. From a faith perspective, how do we approach the lost gospels? It seems it seems like it would. There's a pretty simple 
uh, approach mm-hmm. to it here. Yeah. Faith and reason are pretty much in agreement here. Um, faith would accentuate things a little more, but basically, uh, from a faith perspective, we, we would say that the Holy Spirit guided the church into recognizing the correct gospels that really do tell us about Jesus. And the Holy Spirit protected the church from adopting uh, later false gospels that were forgeries. Um, and as we mentioned, it did so based on that twofold test, which involves tradition. Is there a tradition of these being read in the churches from the beginning? And do they agree with the doctrinal tradition that has been handed down through the church? So the church used tradition to help determine the canon of Scripture. So the so that the written word uh, that we've been handed down in the Bible, um, its reliability is based on the the oral teaching that had been kind of handed down from the apostles uh, when uh, when Jesus commissioned them. Yeah, as well as eyewitness testimony as as found in the Gospels, because um, even though uh, because we even though Matt, Mark and Luke were not themselves eyewitnesses, they both based their accounts on eyewitness testimony. And there's actually a fascinating book about the role of eyewitness testimony in the Gospels. Uh, again, by that British scholar I mentioned, Richard Baucom. It's called Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, and it's an outstanding book. It's just been released in a new edition with three additional chapters, and it's awesome. And I make a note to include that in the show notes as well. Jesus yeah. and the Eyewitnesses um, by Richard Baucom. Richard Balcom, yeah. Also in the show notes, uh, I've got a link to a book by Daryl Bach, who's an evangelical scholar called The Missing Gospels, that goes into uh, into all of this in more detail. So what's the bottom line, uh, Jimmy, on all of this? The bottom line is that the apocryphal gospels are useful for learning about the different movements that produced them later on in church history, but they're really not useful uh, apart from maybe a single little thing here or there, they're like like potential agrafa. They're really not useful for learning about Jesus. Okay. Great. And then, like I said, we've got some uh, further resources. It'll be in the show notes at sqpn.com. Uh, so check those out. Link to some books and some articles and that sort of thing. Uh, so, Jimmy, this is our fifth episode, and uh, mm-hmm. people have been responding. We're so grateful for the great response that people have had to a mysterious world uh people loving yeah. it and we, and we hope you keep sharing it on social media and other places and let people know um and and so one of the great things is, is we've been getting some good feedback right so we have a new segment mysterious feedback <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> although we do know who the, who the feedback is coming from uh, usually uh yeah but we do have one piece and actually um you, there was something about the, our first episode on ghosts, right? Yeah. So our first episode was on ghosts, and we had a number of readers recommend some Catholic books about ghosts. One of them that's still in print is called Shane Leslie's Ghost Book. Uh, Shane Leslie was a 20th century Irish diplomat, and uh, that book is still in print. It's available uh, from <clears throat> from Amazon. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. I haven't read it myself, but it's you know a mid twentieth century book from a reputable Catholic source uh, about ghosts. And so, if nothing else, it's uh, interesting to learn about what Shane Leslie and his circles thought about ghosts. Excellent, very good. Uh, and so, folks, if you want to send us feedback and information, you can comment um, on our on our website, on our Facebook page. Uh, send us comments on Twitter, on YouTube. Um, any place that you want to do that. And I'll give the links at the uh, end of the uh, uh, 
of the episode, and it'll be on our website at sqpn.com. But uh, I want to, you know, kind of wrap things up with a, a final segment, a new segment we're going to start doing called uh, Mystery Headlines, which is yeah. uh, just little brief tidbits about mysterious happenings and goings on that have been in the news that you might be interested in. Right. So this time in Mysterious Headlines, uh, we have some ghostly news. Uh, it, there's a Pennsylvania couple uh, that is selling the former Carbon County Jail in Jim Thorpe, Pennsylvania, uh, the 147-year-old jail is reputedly haunted by the ghosts of former inmates, including Irish coal miners who were members of the early Molly Maguire's trade union, which uh, w there's some violent conflict involving the Molly Maguire's. Um, they later form part of the basis of Arthur Conan Doyle's no novel, The Valley of Fear. And they're also, according to Star Trek Deep Space Nine, some of the ancestors of Chief Miles O'Brien. Uh, in, in any event, for the last 20 years, the couple uh, has been using the uh, Carbon County Jail as a museum. And now it can be yours for the asking price of $749,000. And more information on that is in the show notes. And it's fully furnished with ghosts. With ghosts, yeah. <laughs> That's excellent. Also, yeah, also in, in Mysterious Headlines, um, on Twitter, NASA announced the discovery of a new face on Mars. Uh, the, the new face bears an uncanny likeness to the famous Muppet named Beaker, the <laughs> unlucky laboratory assistant of Dr. Bunsen Honeydew on The Muppet Show. He's the one who sounds and, like, meep, 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 meep. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> And uh, to view the new face on Mars, uh, see our show notes where we've got the link to the NASA post on Twitter. Excellent. So, folks, like I said, if uh, if you're enjoying the show, please uh, like it on Facebook, you know, write a comment, subscribe, subscribe to the feed, or um, if you if you listen to it on YouTube, uh, click the subscribe button for the channel, click the bell to get the notifications. But most of all, please share uh, the the links with with other people the only way we grow our audience really is by personal recommendations from listeners like you who enjoy it and we're having so much fun we're hearing from a lot of people who they're having fun listening to it uh and i think it just it, it, this it, it's an interesting conversation that you're not hearing other places this sort of stuff um from the particular way that uh, that we, we approach it and so we'd appreciate if you could do that uh, one other thing is if you could go onto itunes and write a review uh, that tells uh, the iTunes algorithm to show our, our show to more people. So we'd appreciate it. Five stars, please. Yes, please. So that's it from us. Uh, so you know, let us know, what do you think about the Lost Gospels, and what we had to say about them? Uh, and we might uh, read your feedback, or if you record some voice feedback, we'd love to play your voice feedback on the show and send that to us. You can... Send us feedback by going to sqpn.com or the SQPN Facebook page um, and find the link to this show and leave a comment there or send us an email to mysterious at sqpn.com. Get a spell mysterious right. I always have trouble with it. So uh, look at a dictionary or you help it help them autocorrect. Uh, but mysterious at sqpn.com. And you can find links to our personal social media our websites, and to the resources we mentioned in this show on sqpn.com. Until next time, Jimmy Aiken, thank you for exploring with us our mysterious world. Thank you, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to Jimmy Aiken's Mysterious World. <laughs>